and welcome to In the Spotlight, the podcast where we interview grad students and postdocs in the sciences about their research and what makes it important to the rest of us. Instead of hearing about all the technical details of the research, what we want to learn about are the problems in the world that grad students are trying to solve, the broader applications of their work, and maybe even where we would have heard about it before. I am your host, Emily Schaefer, and I help put on this podcast with the help of Northwestern University's Science Policy Outreach Task Force, or SPOT. We've talked to a few engineers previously on the show, but we have had yet to hear about the world of chemical engineering until now. Today, we're going to be chatting about renewable fuel technologies and what's being done with hydrogen fuel specifically. I'm very excited to welcome on Julie Fornaseri. She is a fourth-year PhD student in the Chemical and Biomolecular Engineering Department at UC Berkeley. So welcome, Julie. Hi, Emily. Thanks for having me. Julie, tell us first, what made you want to be an engineer or a scientist? Yeah, so when I, you know, the typical scientist story was in high school, I didn't know what I wanted to major in. And I really liked math and science, um, but I really wanted to focus in on something that, first of all, wasn't monotonous and something that can make a difference in the world. And my journey has been very zigzaggy to get me to where I am today. But I think uh, the pivotal moment for me was deciding on engineering was when I decided to go there because my grandfather had a pacemaker and I learned engineers helped make that. And I am far from anything biomedical related, but uh, that really was the reason why I got into engineering. And through college, I got to learn a little bit more of what else can happen. And climate change is a huge problem we have to face. And I'm excited to be working on that uh, currently in my graduate research. Why did you want to study chemical engineering specifically? That's a good question. I actually took a winding path also to chemical engineering. I didn't know exactly which one I wanted to do, and I thought I swore off chemistry after high school. Um, And when I got into college, I had a really good chemistry uh, professor, but it wasn't until I started doing research in in a chemical engineering lab where I made polymers and started seeing that the material all around me uh, is really something engineers can make. And that's really what I what motivated me to get into chemical engineering was I can see the applications and it was very broad. And I had the advice of if I wanted to work on whether it was materials or if I wanted to do the huge change to something else, chemical engineering was the foundation to a lot of different engineerings. And so why not start there? And I actually got that from a advice from a professor that I was working with. And are you doing the more materials side of research now, or have you made that leap like you were saying? I've made the leap for sure. So I do actually much more uh, electrochemistry and I am not making any materials anymore, but I use a lot of materials. (laughs) (laughs) Very nice. So tell us a little bit about what your research looks like now then. Yeah, so my research now is really working on the application for hydrogen technology. And what I mean by that is that hydrogen is the most abundant element in the universe. However, in order to use it as, say, a feedstock to a fuel cell, so you get clean electricity. And so a fuel cell is just a device to convert hydrogen gas to electricity. 
you need it in the hydrogen gas form, that hydrogen. And so what I actually am working on is the application to make that hydrogen gas in a green way. And that is all through basically a system that is a very familiar to us as like a battery. Um, so it looks a lot like a battery. It uses electrochemistry, but you are feeding in gases and water in order to make that hydrogen gas. I don't understand too much about hydrogen technology, so I apologize if my questions are a little bit basic. <laughs> but is hydrogen technology inherently a renewable green source of energy, or is this something new that you're trying to do to make it green? That's a really good question that I think not many people know too much about, so don't worry whatsoever. Hydrogen itself, hydrogen and gas, right, can be made clean and green, and that's been around since the 1800s. And that's through the process of water electrolysis, which is what I'm focused on. Um, or if instead of those big terms, you could say water splitting. So you take water and you split it up to hydrogen and oxygen gas. But you actually get hydrogen gas a lot from methane, uh, so natural gas. And so that's a fossil fuel. And that's a byproduct for a lot of the power plants that we run or steam methane reforming is a big term, but it's really burning methane to get to carbon monoxide, carbon dioxide, and hydrogen or other processes down the line. So you actually get a lot of the hydrogen right now from those fossil fuels. What water electrolysis or water splitting is trying to do is take water and actually make hydrogen that way in a more clean manner. Um, so that's really the big difference is what I'm trying to do is making it more affordable and making sure that we can do this in a clean way since hydrogen can be in a lot of different processes that not a lot of people know about, um, surprisingly. And so for those of us who don't know that much about hydrogen as a fuel, can you catch us up on what exactly are the pros and cons of, of this approach compared to other forms of fuel? Yes, hydrogen can be used not only a fuel for transportation, right? Um, so there are hydrogen fuel cell vehicles out in the Bay Area. We actually have hydrogen fuel cell buses. And the advantage for using hydrogen fuel in transportation, for instance, is that it can go a lot longer and the only a lot longer, meaning many more miles. So without any pollutants or pollution to the environment. So the only byproduct is water when you use a hydrogen fuel cell for transportation. Uh, you could go up to 500 miles per uh, gallon, if not more, for the tank. And that helps with long range duty vehicles. So if you think of a Tesla or your favorite electric vehicle, you can get around a lot of places that have electricity plugins. But when you're thinking of trucks, you can't really get that far on that. And so hydrogen can help fill that gap there in making sure we're not using diesel engines, but using hydrogen engines. But hydrogen gas also can be used in a lot of manufacturing, hydrogen plays a huge role in making fertilizers. And so if you do that, you can actually find a way to make the ammonia process much cleaner by using a hydrogen, not from say natural gas, but from water. And this process of water splitting that you mentioned, how difficult is it to really split water? I get the sense that, I mean, water is so stable. How do you, how do you break it up like that? Yeah, so we don't want water to just spontaneously go into those gases, right? Into hydrogen and oxygen. 
So it does actually take a lot of energy. And with electrochemistry, we're able to harness that energy more focused in on a specific area. And we use that by having a specific catalyst. And that is actually one of the big questions that my research lab and my research is trying to work on is how do we reduce the amount of catalyst um, because that's used of precious metals? How do we reduce that and still get the same amount of hydrogen? And that means that we're using different techniques to make sure that whatever we put in our system is completely being utilized versus say half of it is being utilized at all. So trying to remove as much of like the waste of the process as possible, is that a fair, a fair summary? More like trying to utilize the most expensive piece of your system to 100% versus like 50%. Does that make a little more sense? Oh, okay, okay. And remind me again, what is a catalyst in this case? Yeah, so a catalyst is basically a very tiny particle, and that is the active site or the site at which where water comes and reaches that catalyst site, it has enough energy to break the bonds of water to make the hydrogen and the oxygen. Or in this case, it would make protons and electrons since we're using electricity or electrochemistry for this process. Is definitely very complicated. I can say that. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Going back to your research specifically, what does your day-to-day look like working on hydrogen fuel cells? Yeah, so my day-to-day is really making little hydrogen fuel cells and little water splitting devices or electrolyzers. And so what that means is I'll have my test of experiments that I have to do. So as I said earlier, we want to try and reduce the amount of catalyst we used, right? So um, the systems that I use, we do everything in solid state. And so what I mean by that is we have a basically a polymer piece of plastic that moves those protons around. And then we have lots of different layers. So we call it an electrochemical sandwich uh, where (laughs) we have pathways for the electrons. We have pathways for the water or the hydrogen gas. We have um, the electrons. And so every day I have to make one of those and put it into a nicely gas sealed system. And I have just, you know, flow controllers that move gases through it. Uh, I have pumps that move water through the system. And I do a lot of uh, characterization of that specific system. And so that means that I do electrochemical tests to see what's the efficiency how much hydrogen am I getting out or how much electricity am I getting out for my system? Uh, And I could do that based on how much catalyst I put in, uh, how much gas or water I put in, other kind of testing parameters that I ask myself of how can I make this better. And the optimization work with this catalyst of the fuel cells Is the problem more so to figure out the right catalyst or to change other parameters to use the catalyst well? So that's a really great point. And one that I think is a distinguisher between different labs. So my lab, we actually use a catalyst that is commercially made. I don't make that material. Other labs do try and make even better ones because the catalyst I use is a really rare metal. And 
if we can make catalysts that don't use rare metals, that use more common metals, that would be a lot easier to use and the cost would be driven down. What I'm trying to do is if we have X amount of catalyst, which is lower than what they use now, how do I change, say, the structure of the layer that I deposit the catalyst layer to help move water through or help move the gases out of um, really in on the like magnify it by 10 times and or 100 times um, to see and understand how to how these different complex movements and pathways are changing uh, throughout the reaction. What are some misconceptions about using hydrogen fuel as a technology? I think the biggest uh, misconception for hydrogen fuel is the safety of it. I think when you hear hydrogen gas, you think of the Hindenburg and the explosion. And hydrogen gas is really, really combustible. So I'm not saying don't act like it is air and you can be all willy-nilly. But the misconception is that it's inherently dangerous at all counts. But with the technology that we are working on, there are other counter labs that are working on how to store it safely. And the safety is a huge part of how we use hydrogen gas. And if we think about a car, right, uh, just a either diesel engine or the regular engines we use, that is a ton of tiny fires underneath you. Or if you think of a plane, a ton of tiny fires underneath your plane happening, but there's so many safety constraints. And as a field, we are taking that into consideration and have made it incredibly safe that I think even though the Hindenburg was a huge event, it doesn't mean that that's being overlooked and it's inherently unsafe. You actually, with the right safety protocols, you can make sure that it's as safe as driving any kind of car or flying any kind of plane type thing. Yeah, I imagine there's a lot of rules and regulations and whatnot that goes into making this possible, right? Yeah, and definitely even far past what I understand as a grad student. Um, But there's lots of regulations and lots of trying to make sure that people are comfortable with it. And so they're not worried your car is going to blow up just because you're using hydrogen gas, right? Yeah, it reminds me a lot of the conversation that I had with Katie earlier on the podcast about nuclear energy, that, you know, it's not inherently unsafe or like a bad method. It's just we have to we have to figure out all the rules and regulations behind it. And we've done that now. So there's nothing there's no reason to be scared. Yeah, exactly. I think people who didn't see a car felt the same way about a normal car. And now we never even think about it or the first airplane. It's just making sure that we do all the safety measures for that, which is really important. What do you think is most interesting about your work and the hydrogen technologies side, just to the average person? The most interesting part is hydrogen can play a role that a lot of people overlook when it comes to transitioning to renewables. So the nice thing about making hydrogen gas and then using it to get electricity is that it can be on demand for the most part very quickly. And what I mean by that is when you make hydrogen gas, you can make hydrogen gas with water, like I said, but you also have to use electricity. And that electricity can come from a really sunny day in California or a really windy day in Iowa. And you can store that hydrogen gas for days, weeks, months. 
And so if there are, say, natural disasters that are being seen more and more often, whether it's the wildfires, whether it's the hurricanes, whether it's these crazy snowstorms we're seeing, we actually can get electricity really quickly by having that stored hydrogen gas around and then using it using a fuel cell to make that electricity. And I think that's really the exciting part for me is I know the work that I do in and out is a little more minute uh, and very detailed, but I think there's a lot of ways that hydrogen can play a huge role that we kind of forget about, especially when it comes to energy resilience or making sure we're always having our energy uh, supplied to us. That's really fascinating. I never knew that. Yeah, and I think there's there's a lot of ways that we could think about it. Um, so there's a lot of hydrogen pipelines just underneath us. And so that actually could be a really good way to transition from fossil fuels to hydrogen in a really interest in a really easy way. But the infrastructure and the incentives have to be there to be able to do those switches, right? But I think there's a lot of great opportunities because I think a lot of criticism for solar wind is, oh, well, we don't have sun for 200 days out of the year. This won't help us. But that's it doesn't always have to be the case there, if if that makes sense. How much of our energy right now is coming from hydrogen technologies like this? How much how ubiquitous is this already? Ooh, that's a really good question that I don't think I know off the top of my head, but it's very small. So solar okay. is the largest for renewables and then batteries come in huge play like a huge role, but hydrogen vehicles, for instance, if we think transportation, California is the only state that actually has hydrogen refilling stations. And so it's very limited to California. But if you think globally, Japan is being a huge leader in it, as well as a lot of Europe is using hydrogen. It sounds like it's very up and coming, though, which is kind of cool. Yeah. And it's funny because hydrogen has been around for a while. Like I said, the first water splitting device was in like the 1800s and a coin termed as the hydrogen economy which really just means we're replacing a lot of fossil fuels with hydrogen been around since the 80s i think more and more people are starting to realize oh this there are much more applications besides just transportation that it could play a big role in so it is becoming more up and coming which is exciting at least for me who is in the field (laughs) (laughs) yeah absolutely one of the things that we haven't touched upon yet are the downsides of using an approach like this. So if we've had water splitting around since the 1800s, why hasn't this become a, a bigger source of fuel for us yet? That's a really good question. And I think really the big thing is the cost. And there hasn't been enough either incentives, whether it's like by public funding or a lot of private investment to drive that cost down by the economies of scale. And what I mean by that is the more we make of it, the more electrolyzers or fuel cells, any of these devices we make of them, the cost is gonna go down because more it's easier to manufacture them. We haven't gotten there yet with uh, any of these technologies. And so the cost is really high to generate that electricity that way. Awesome. I really feel like I'm starting to put the pieces together a little bit more. So I'm going to ask you one final question for this episode. If somebody listening were to understand one thing about hydrogen fuel cells and the things that we talked about today, what would you want to spotlight? 
I really want to spotlight that hydrogen gas and how to make it and all the nitty gritty details is really complicated. However, it's one way that we can help with decarbonizing um, or reducing the amount of fossil fuels we're dependent on. And I think learning a little bit more about this hopefully invited you to say, oh, this is something I didn't know about uh, besides just solar and wind and that it can be really important within our pathway to more a more renewable environment. It's so inspiring to hear that there's a lot of different directions being pursued to try and tackle this really big problem of climate change and energy sources and things. So thank you so much again for coming on and sharing all of your expertise with us. Yeah, thank you for having me. If people listening are interested in hearing more about your work, is there a way that they can learn more or contact you? Yeah, so you could contact me uh, through my Twitter. That's my science Twitter. And that is at J-C-F-O-R-N-A-C-I-A-R-I. I'm happy to answer any questions via direct messages or if you want to learn a little bit more about my research, I post various things on there uh, regarding my research or what's happening in the hydrogen field or even science communication. Awesome. Thank you again, Julie, for being on the show. It was really lovely to have you. And thank you also to everyone who's listening. I hope you've been enjoying the show so far. Just like Julie said, Twitter is a great place to reach out to us as well. You can connect with the podcast on Twitter at SpotlightThePod. And no matter where you're choosing to listen to the podcast, please remember to rate, review, subscribe, share it with your friends and family. All of these things are really, really important to us to make sure that we're getting it out there to as many people as possible. And as a reminder, this podcast was brought to you by Northwestern University's Science Policy Outreach Task Force, or SPOT. And you can learn more about SPOT at our website, spot.northwestern.edu, or on Twitter at SPOTforceNU.